Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization with a mission to mobilize the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Last year, their Volunteer Income Tax Assistance, or VITA program, helped 1,400 households file their taxes for free. This year, the expanded child tax credit is available to Chautauqua County households with children, even if they don't normally file taxes or have a recent income. Nearly every parent or caregiver of a child with a Social Security number can receive up to $3,600 per child, and it's not too late. Learn more at getctc.org chq. It only takes about 15 minutes online to claim the child tax credit and learn about eligibility. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit UASCC.org or UnitedWayNCC.org. Chautauqua County Executive P.J. Wendell has been kept on his toes the last month between assisting Chautauqua Institution with the aftermath of the attack on Salman Rushdie to working on the 2023 budget and changes in personnel in county government. He talks with us about all that and more here. We welcome Chautauqua County Executive P.J. Wendell to the WRFA studios again. Good morning. Well, thanks for having me. So in some ways, it feels like we've had several months of topics to discuss today, even though it's only been one month since we last had you in. So I want to start off with something from this week. First, uh, the special election and Republican primary for the 23rd Congressional District, new and old, was held this past Tuesday. So... Your comments on both of those uh, the events and happenings? Well, you know, first of all, congratulations to Joe. He's going to continue on for four more months uh, as our representative in Washington. Joe was a former staffer, understands the uh, direction that Congressman Reed was going. He knows the climate in Washington and knows uh, how to get in there and really get the ball rolling and, and get moving, although a short window. Uh, you know, a lot of criticism came out about that. You know, the other side claiming placeholder. Uh, we never looked at it that way. Joe understood you know, his position, what he wanted to do, and he wanted to fill this uh, vacancy and, and has, uh, you know, some other things on his mind. So, you know, you know what those are, we don't, you know, I, I guess that's speculation for me, you know, but, but nonetheless, he, he was very confident that, you know, he wanted to commit to this and, and to not the, the full term. On the other hand, you know, he had two uh, qualified candidates in uh, Nick Langworthy and Carl Palladino. But, you know, as I stated last week and, uh, you know, it was public that I did endorse Nick, um, I you know felt confident right along that Nick was our candidate, and I had, you know some personal reasons that I had seen uh, throughout the campaign as to why Nick uh, you know would be a solid candidate going forward. And I think it was evident. Uh, you know, a lot of people focused and saw that this was going to be a it's a Buffalo district with a little bit of the Southern tier. Well, quite the opposite. It's a Southern tier district with a little bit of Buffalo. Although it's a large uh, is a large population density maybe a small population density, but nonetheless, 60% of the district is here in the Southern Tier. And, you know, just as we started the interview, I did get a call from Nick and, uh, you know, thanking me for his, for my support, but it's more, you know, what Nick brings to this position uh, in representing the Southern Tier. You know, he was out in those small counties, Cattaraugus, Allegheny, Steuben. He's connecting with people, you know, as he said, he wants to get out, meet the farmers, meet the hospital workers. And Nick does that already here in Chautauqua County, but now he wants to expand. And, and he is a voice for this area in Washington. So really excited you know, for, for his success and for Joe. So um, again, the Southern Tier really made a statement that we are you know, a very red district. But that's not to say that we dismiss people on the other side of the aisle. You know, Car- um, Nick knows 100% what the needs are of Chautauqua County and the Southern Tier District. So he will be working hard for everybody in the district and won't be focused on one side. So really excited for Nick 
and for Joe to finish out the tournament. Mm -hmm. With uh, Joe Sempolinski, in case people are wondering what the, who the <laughs> Joe is, uh, Joe Sempolinski filling that term. We, I mean, Congress is still uh, in session for mm -hmm. until the end of the year at certain, certain points. Uh, one of the things that we keep hearing, and I think both all everyone's in, in government's probably anxiously awaiting what's going to happen with infrastructure monies. And we, I think Chuck Schumer mentioned in April that the ability to apply for those funds comes out in September. So that leads me to think that, yeah, we want a representative. And then you feel like we've got a good one with Joe in, in terms of, of getting access and finding out more about what Chautauqua County has to do to get that infrastructure money? Certainly. You know, one of the things that, and this is something that somebody brought to me about, you know, the, the position, whether it's, you know, the the primary that happened or, you know, um, with with Joe Sempolinski as our, our congressman now. Uh, you know, there are people that you can reach out and get the answers to the questions you have, not, you know, somebody who might try to fumble through. Um, you know, Joe... It's really done it. He understands how to use uh, the staff and far as how to get questions answered. Uh, and that's a big question we have. You know, they tout this infrastructure money, you know, billions and billions of dollars. Where is it? How do we get it? Because it's, it really has, it's, it's this shroud of secrecy that we, we throw these numbers out there, but, you know, you hear words like hyper competitive. Well, you know, a small county like Chautauqua or Cattaraugus or a small town or village, when you're talking hyper competitive, how do you stand up against, you know, uh, a Hempstead out in Long Island, where a town has 800,000 residents. So, you know, having said that, we need somebody that's able to navigate those waters and get the monies for us as needed. We have several projects, infrastructure projects going on throughout Chautauqua County, sewer, water, broadband. Ironically, those were the three pillars that, that the ARPA funding started on, and it's, it's, it's been, you know, kind of pivoted. But nonetheless, uh, you know, I know, you know, Joe Simpelinski will be able to get those connected dots for us and get that money uh, as we need it. So we're really excited. A lot of big infrastructure projects going on and we've put in for and hopefully we hear in the next couple of months, you know, the funding is there. And more importantly, one of the one of the pieces we talked about in our ARPA funding was about $7 million we put for phase two in the uh, ARPA, the second tranche of the ARPA funding. Uh, you know, that if we hear by the end of the year that that funding does come through from other sources and that's seven more million we put back to our ARPA spending packages and looking at other projects. So again, you know, realistically, a lot of a lot of things could happen, a lot of things we're hoping for, but nonetheless, we, we have our I's dotted and T's crossed so that, that funding does come here or these projects do get started or completed, you know, with the funding we have right now. Right, and then that was just for that one project, and there was another that was passed last night, the $863,000 bonds for the uh, water storage tank repair and rehabilitation project in North County that was stated at the, the legislature meeting that, should the infrastructure money come forward, that that, that money can be taken uh, from where it would be used from ARPA and then trans and then just then turned over to another project, hopefully. Correct, and that one of the things that, that's happened already, there was a, a uh, I don't know if it was a press release or, or briefing that we got was um, in some of the earmarks that Senator Schumer has. You know, one of them was over 500,000 for that water storage tank. So. We know at least that's been there. Now, how long it takes for us to get that and, you know, which earmark was it? It was a 22 or 23 and, you know, those things come out and lobbyists inform us of to where, what things have happened or transpired. So, again, <clears throat> very confident that we will receive other funding. And then, again, it goes back into what I feel is more like the community chest. You know, we, we look at things that maybe focus uh, you know, on, on certain projects, but you know, as we go through this, and has been our our motto, if you will, throughout COVID, is uh, through the ARPA funding, is how do we use this money to 
impact many, many people, not just focusing on certain specific areas, but how many people can be affected, you know, the more bang for your buck type of, of, of mentality as we go forward. So we're excited, you know, the monies are there and these infrastructure projects should be coming online and, and really start to get uh, things motivated here in the county. Right. So the biggest news story of the past month and, and maybe even this year so far is the attack on author Salman Rushdie at Chautauqua Institution on August 12th. Can you tell us more about your involvement in the aftermath of that and what is happening now? Well, okay, twice, you, you, must, you get the award. Twice now we've gotten chills. First talking about you know, the, the primary, but more so um, you know, the events of, of uh, the 12th. Ironically, we missed it by day. You know, Friday the 13th would have really been a unique uh, caveats, all that. Uh, you know, it was, we started the day with uh, a real great meeting um, with Dr. John Kelly from the Jefferson Project, myself, um, Assemblyman Goodell, Senator Borello, uh, Pierre Shagnon, Shagnon, the chairman of the legislature, Don Emhart from the town of Chautauqua, Michael Hill from the institution, and really dug into some really good conversation and some things that are on the cusp of being uh, shared. Uh, hopefully, we would have been able to share some of that information uh, after Friday evening as there was a, uh, a bigger uh, meeting set uh, with uh, some individuals from the institution and Dr. Kelly. Nonetheless, we were there for a meeting. Uh, it was a great meeting. And afterwards, uh, remember Michael and John had to leave. Uh, they were going to go to the, this, the lecture. And I stood outside, talked to Senator Borrello for a brief minute, and was talking to Pierre Shagnon <coughs> and wrapped it up and talked about how excited we were about the information and where we're going to go next with... Uh, you know, with the lake and, uh, you know, I got in my car and, you know, being an EMT and, and the fire service, I have a, a fire and police radio. And I heard Chautauqua get dispatched to a stabbing on stage. I'm like, no way. And I'm looking, I'm, I'm right there at the back of the amphitheater. So um, I parked the car, used the radio, said I was on location as an EMT and went inside. And at that time, um, the assailant was still on the ground and had no idea who the person was, but, um, you know, there were people there rendering assistance. Uh, yeah, I told them, you know, my, who I was, I was an EMT and there was doctors and trauma surgeons and anesthesiologists. So I just stepped back and let them do the work. Um, you know, and again, wasn't sure who was there, uh, but really hats off to the people from the crowd because they were the ones who jumped in and one stopped the assailant two subdued him. And then with those medical professionals there rendering you know, medical attention to Solomon Rushdie immediately as it happened. Um, but you know, what, what we saw was an international incident, you know, that afternoon. And what happened was the rest of the day, um, you know, I, I was assisting the institution uh, after, you know, the sheriff's department was there, the state police were there, you know, just kind of, kind of pulling everything together. And then, you know, after the initial attack, you know, going back to uh, the conference room with the, the institution and their staff and, you know, talking with Michael Hill and say, okay, what are the next steps? You know, we, we realized at that point, um, you know, the DA was involved, state police were the lead agency doing the investigation, assisted with the sheriff's department. Um, you know, our EMS system worked phenomenally. Um, you know, Chautauqua and Mavo were both there. Uh, Mr. Reese, uh, who was also part of the attack, was injured. He was taken to medical center in Hammett. Um, then Mr. Rushdie was then airlifted uh, to Hammett as well. Uh, but hats off to, uh, you know, the EMT staff. There was a paramedic, uh, you know, who was holding pressure on one of his wounds, which I, I think is very vital. Um, you looked at the doctors who were assisting, you know, one of our paramedics that I've known for many, many years uh, did a phenomenal job as well. It's, it's, uh, it's easy to do your job when you have so many medical professionals there. And what people don't realize, a lot of times doctors in those situations, emergent, you know, kind of 
you know, field work aren't necessarily eager to jump into that just because of liability and all these other things that could go wrong. And a lot of times, doctors aren't usually uh, it, it have that experience. You know, they're not on, you know, they get a patient that comes to the ER or comes to a trauma center that are stable a little bit. They're not there with the initial attack, if you will. So hats off to those doctors who stepped up and really started to uh, give first aid. Uh, I'm very confident that's what saved his life is that immediate care. I'm not sure where things would have gone had it been you know, more time to get medical attention. But um, yeah, I just stood back and just was assisting how could we connect the dots. Uh, we organized and activated our critical incident stress debriefing team for the people that were on stage who were witnessed and saw this and how to deep, you know, kind of decompress all that information and what they saw and what they're going to be feeling in the future. Uh, worked with Carmelo Hernandez, our Office of Mental Hygiene, uh, reaching out to just residents of the institution who were there and witnessed that. And just were, we had counselors on the grounds, as they call, in community, just to talk and, and listen to what people's concerns were. So, uh, you know, it was a great combined effort. Um, you know, my job was there to assist. It wasn't a, you know, I, I, my consigliere, as I refer to her, she's like, you know, I go, it's not about me. It wasn't about, you know, the county executive's role in this. It was how can the county assist the institution in something that, you know, no one's ever been through before. Um, you know, we're looking at, you know, media contacts from as far away as India and Japan, Australia, uh, you know, conveying all that information and doing it in the right way, you know, because you are dealing with a, a unique situation, um, you know, based on religion and international positions and, and thoughts and feelings and, uh, you know, not to jeopardize one, the case that's being built, uh, you know, against the perpetrator, but now making sure the right information gets out and you don't jeopardize the safety of anybody who's, who's been involved in the attack. So there's a lot of do's and don'ts. Um, and, you know, we were kind of you know, navigating those waters, but, you know, it's, it's with a great relationship we have with our state police, our FBI, the Sheriff's Department, all those law enforcement agencies. We actually met a month before, well, a couple weeks before the season started and, you know, looked at the security measures and safety that there was uh, brought, brought by the institution. So, uh, yeah, we, we had been working together. You know, there was an increased security presence there. Uh, so it was unique. You know, one of our, one, it was conveyed to me by, by somebody, um, you know, somebody came up to one of our law enforcement agencies and said, you know, do you really think all this is necessary? Minutes before the attack happened. Um, I'm guessing they might have a different opinion now that, that we just live in a society now where one individual can change the course of history and in that, play, in that point, he changed the course of the institution's history and its safety and you know, what they do going forward. A lot of decisions were made that day, a lot of you know, conversations had as to how they were gonna proceed, but you know, the, the institution staff were phenomenal. They really, you know, in the midst of the tragedy, they you know, shook the cobwebs, they got right to work and, and really made some tough decisions, but very sound decisions and things that would uh, you know, catapult them moving forward. Uh, it, one of the things that I, I you know, wanted to say real quick is, you know, one of the presenters who was here this past week, and ironically, the week after that was called you know, Courage Week, and I believe it was Derek Walker said, you know, in incidences like this, you don't lean back, you lean into them. And, you know, listening to Michael Hill, that was the position the institution's taken. You know, we're not, we're not stopping. Um, they're not boldly saying, you know, look what we can do. It's these are topics, but they're topics for discussion, and we need to have those discussions. And Chautauqua is a place where we can speak freely and you know, have our voices heard. So uh, I commend them for that, that position going forward. And you know, they, uh, 
they really do a great job of bringing people together and um, you know unifying you know the, the communities at large in, in different areas of religion and arts and recreation and everything. So uh, again, hats off to that. But you know we keep in touch. Michael and I talk quite a bit, you know, regularly. But um, you know we've been in touch this time you know, throughout because it's most people aren't in that situation. Um, you know, throughout my career in EMS, I've seen it, but never to the magnitude of you know, here's a worldwide figure. Uh, and, and you were sitting in an international situation, but it was, it was a very unique day and very, uh, it was like, you know, one of those memories you'll, you'll never forget. That's, that's for sure. Um, on the safety security side, is the state Senator Borrello and Assemblyman Goodell uh, are hoping to see legislation passed again and, and finally signed by the governor to allow the institution um, safety and security to be recognized officially as peace officers. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think it was the county... <coughs> Before, prior to your administration, that removed that designation. Yeah, and there's there's a lot more to it than just it wasn't somebody's personal belief. It was really based on the law, and um, you know things that the, the law that had to be followed. And, and ironically enough, you know when I, we were there at the press conference, the governor made the statement and something that you know I'm going to along with the senator and assembly are going to hold her to, and she stated that we have gotten in the way of this legislation, meaning the governor's office, a hundred percent. They could have signed that. I don't know what Governor Cuomo, why he didn't. That's beyond me. But Governor Hochul now knows the critical nature of this legislation. Should it get passed? Because it passed both this, the House and the Assembly last time. It needs to be signed and this needs to go through. Either way, you know, situations and, you know, I've been in, co- in talks with the sheriff and plans, you know, we're starting to look at ways to, you know, increase our, the presence there. So I don't want to, that's for the sheriff to discuss, but, uh, you know, we are looking at ways to, you know, get past that and to start to provide, you know, other services. So it's not as simple as just putting the deputies on on the grounds of the institution. But again, I, along with the senators, I will support them 100% in holding the governor, uh, you know, to that that promise she said that we, she will sign this if it comes to her desk. So uh, that'll help out, you know, a tremendous amount. And um, again, Chautauqua was still a very safe place. This was just a one-off, one individual who had you know, a radical idea, and it wasn't a, a, a group or a community that came in and, and caused this. So um, you know, I, I've been back several times. I won't ever stop going. You know, and, and I think people need to feel, have that same feel of comfort. Right. Comfort. I, I can't think of another um, speaker that the, or guest that the institution has had that had a fatwa against them. I mean, Salman Rushdie is kind of a singular you know, world recognized figure part because of, you know, that, that unfortunate designation from that he got in, uh, after writing satanic verses. So I said, yeah, it's a very unique situation. And, but I still, I understand wanting to take further safety measures. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's everybody. They have, you know, some high profile people, whether controversial or not, even high profile, we just don't know what one person might have against another. So, you mm-hmm. know, you just have to always be, be vigilant going forward. So in, in keeping, this is a, you, this had connection to that, that August incident. So at last night's county legislature, I mean, you requested the legislature rescind a local law that created a public relations officer. And you've mentioned in this discussion today, you know, the importance of getting information out. And, uh, and so can you explain what, now that that law has been rescinded, how, what happens now? Well, what it does is it, basically that law is, is off the books. It really never went on the books per se. Um, so now we, we go back and, and what we're looking at now is a public information officer. Uh, you know, there was an article in the paper, you know, looking that this is to, you know, to kind of polish the image. It's never was about that. And as we looked, 
you know, when you're looking at creating job titles and you know civil service positions and getting things, you know, all kind of molded into what you need, um, you know, we got we started with that and was kind of contemplating. Um, but sometimes you could you could kind of mold it a little bit to fit your needs, um, the position. But in this case, we really weren't looking, weren't really sure if we'd be able to do that, let's say. And it wasn't about the public relations. It's, it's not what we're looking at. It's really about the, the, the information. Um, and it started last year at a conference. I was in a room about 500 county leaders from across the country. And five of us raised our hands who did not have public information officers. And the critical nature, and, and the woman talked about, you know, whether it was from Wisconsin and Minnesota, these other, you know, tragic events that led to, uh, you know, bigger outcry from the public, you know, having to focus that information and getting it out in the right manner. Well, what people don't realize is, you know, after the, the attack on August 12th, you know, we had multiple media sources contacting the county, but there is no media desk, you know, so who do you contact? It went to, you know, the, the Chautauqua County website and it was going into our general mailbox. And, you know, thank goodness, uh, John D'Angelo, our IT director, you know, found these, uh, these emails and was forwarding, and forwarding them to Jason Schmidt from the district attorney and myself. Otherwise, some of these may just get lost in a general, you know, if somebody sends it to my email and myself and my staff read them as well if it goes to a specific department. But if it just goes to the general email, you know, it may take a day or a couple of days or maybe even a week till it gets, you know, filtered through and, and you know, be, be seen. Um, because, you know, so many departments have a specific email and there's, you know, hundreds of emails that come through in a day. So having said that, you know, we realized that, you know, somebody calls, you know, if you, from now on what we want to do is be able to go to the Chautauqua County website and say media and have a click where it's going to go to one designated email, one designated cell phone, one designated landline and that's where all the information will go and we would have one dedicated person that would focus all that information because you know as i said before there was so much information what could be said what can't be said you know who you know what information protects the individuals involved you know there's there's so much to that it's it, we're just in a different world um you know i fielded a, an interview from the bbc and from cnn that afternoon um you know we had calls from as far away as india and japan and, and other news media um, you know, pictures you know have been you know conveyed back to me that it's made it as far as Al Jazeera and other you know news media across the world. So, you know, we uh, people don't realize you know 20 years ago you had to send those. Uh, now digitally, people upload things in seconds. So, um, you know, it was it was amazing. There was a picture of myself and my son at the vigil. And I looked over and I noticed somebody taking pictures. Didn't realize you know it was an AP photographer. They went everywhere. So that picture, you know, was not just locally in Chautauqua County, but you know, across the across the country and across the globe, um, and and pictures from that event, you know, circulated the globe within a matter of minutes. So, the public information officer is critical, you know, to maintain that consistent messaging, um, you know, for the county and and uh, you know, having one person that could focus on you know the do's and the don'ts. This is what we, um, you know, this is what we can say. This is what can't be said, and um, a lot of times too you know, just having that knowledge of how to, how to, you know, get the right expression. Uh, sometimes people may not be the most eloquent speakers, but having somebody um, taking the information and this is how we put it out and the message is much stronger, but also much more consistent. So, um, you know, we'll go back to retooling that. You know, we already have uh, our HR directors looked at a new job uh, description. We have that in hand in my desk. So uh, we'll still look at, start at that, you know, looking forward. 
and uh, getting that online. It's it's a critical, uh, and again, it's it's not a matter of making the county look good. It's just, in essence, making the county's voice strong and you know, and important. And in the wake of you know, the August twelfth incident, this is something we realize that we are really really far behind on. Mm-hmm. Is this something that is going to be maybe changed from being that management position to a more a civil service position? Because there's <laughs> no, and actually, you know, somebody somebody talked to me about it. It was it's um, I, I've spoken to actually without revealing his name, the person I really thought we, I kind of started to mold this job to. He worked with us for a short time, but he had uh, worked in uh, television in Rochester. He had worked with a one of the state senators uh, in in a Rochester. So. He's been, uh, you know, a confidant that I've been talking to. Um, he worked with the county for a short time, and now he's moved on, but always stayed in contact and um, rely on him for some, you know, some media advice. But, um, uh, you know, again, it, it's something that, and what he said was other places have tried, um, you know, kind of a civil service position, and, you know, it's more, this is something that needs to be around the clock, uh, you know, almost a 24-7 job. Um, so, you know, we want to make sure that we get you know, the most effective use of the individual and their title. So, again, we just have to look at all that going forward. You know, the implication uh, from civil service, you know, where the job titles are. But more importantly, what's going to best serve the county and the residents as we go forward? Right. I'm thinking because obviously the, the August 12th incident is, is an impetus between changing the 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 job description and title and title name. Um, but I would think that looking back even over recent history, that this is something that could have been really useful with other things like with the pandemic. And, right. you know, people talk a lot about, you know, transparency, getting information and what is the right information and stuff. And I imagine this will, will help down that line. Well, certainly, you know, one of the things we found was, um, again, reaching back to my, my, uh, uh the individual I, I spoke with, um, uh, you know, we talked about it, like, you know, we, when during the press conferences, we're like, you know, we, we don't have any people here. It's the usual, um, you know, the usual players were always there. And um, he said, they're too late in the day. He said, most media outlets have a deadline by four or five o'clock. If, you're, if your press conference doesn't start until four, forget it, you're old news. So we switched one to two o'clock and the place was packed. It's like, wow, okay, this is how we do it. How to get the most information out the most effective way. So people wouldn't think, you know, what is that? What does that change of an hour make? Because you know most would say, "Well, two o'clock's in the middle of the day." Don't well, forget that's their job. You know they're out there looking. You guys are looking for music and or looking for the stories and the news. Um, so making it available to everybody so you can all meet your deadlines is something that I never realized. So, and most of us don't. You know, in, in government or in you know leadership, uh, you know, our department heads they don't know what time of day we put out a press conference. Other than just it's the first thing we got to do to get it out into the paper. Um, you know, and if if you want to get out first thing in the morning, you put it out the night before. So again, just a real changing dynamic, but but something that you know will be utilized uh, tremendously going forward. Mm-hmm. So right now, I know you are working on creating the 2023 budget, and so how how would you say things are going this year? Oh, they're going very well. Uh, you know, we have some really good news in in certain areas, and certain things are concerning. You know, the gas, the fuel costs have gone up and you know, astronomically, if you ask me. Um, but what's even better is. You know, we looked at where we started budgeting just a couple of weeks ago. The price of diesel fuel went from four ninety seven a gallon wholesale down to three ninety seven. It's dropped a dollar. So, had we kept that high budget number, you know, we'd see big different different numbers. So, you know, we do have a gap we have to fill, and you know, I'm working with our finance team and our budget director Kathleen Dennison, uh, Kitty Crow, the finance director, and we meet. Uh, it's the last two weeks have been frantic with uh, with meetings and department heads. Today is our last one, finance 
saves themselves for last. I don't know, the best for last maybe. But um, you know, we looked at all of our departments and, and some of their our increases. And I will say, contrary to what you're probably going to see in the media or whatever, our budget is very lean. And right now, the increases we're seeing are based on you know, the step increases in salaries and, um, you know, our healthcare premiums and such. So it's not, you know, numbers that are going up. We're not buying lavish equipment. We're not, you know, bringing hundreds of people on staff. We're, we're very frugal. And we talked about it yesterday. County executives had a meeting uh, in New York State. And we all said we're in the same boat that, you know, one, hiring staff is getting more and more difficult. Two, our salaries are not as high as the private sector. And, you know, we can budget for 23, but it's really 2024 as things start to slow down. And really, we're in the midst of this, you know, inflation boom. Uh, so where is that going to leave us next year? You know, when you look at the tax cap, this is something that was formulated a couple years ago. That was a, fa- a formulation based on inflation rates that weren't, weren't exceeding 2% a year. You had an 8.5% increase in inflation but you're still using 2% as your guideline. It's gone up four times that. So it's a challenge going forward. You know, the the argument is, well, you can override the tax cap. Well, the optics, I'm sure, wouldn't be said. Well, you know, we stayed within budget, but because the tax cap was always counting exceeds tax cap, you know. So we're cognizant of what we're doing and how we're looking at this moving forward. But again, making solid decisions. And just to reiterate, you know, last month it it came out when we were discussing all things that, the public relations officer. Well, the county's in a in a tough financial spot. We are not. I can I can inform everyone listening that the county is in a very very solid, uh, very stable financial position, and you know we are going to continue that moving forward because this year, next year's budget, there's some certainty and there's a lot of uncertainty in 2024. So, really, it's not about budgeting this year, but how do you budget for sustainability years down the road? And that's really what the focus is. Uh, yeah, and you were talking about you know looking at 2024. So. In committee meetings, uh, Finance Director Kitty Crow mentioned that part of why the uh, extension of the CECA contract that was approved last night was done so that you could have some stability and also in, in addition to working with new human resource directors mm-hmm. and, and everything. So, and uh, Legislator Terry Nebel, his uh, comment about how much the total impact to the next year's budget was, was it was surprising, but I, I'm mm. not surprised. I get $2.3 million, mm. but that's because it has not just a salary increase, but then the bonus. And was that bonus, like, look, was that a way of looking at what's going on with hiring and saying, okay, we need to take care of our workers or what, what was the thought with that? Yes, and, and, you know, again, it came into a discussion that every county executive across the state was discussing yesterday is, you know, we're all in those positions of, of retention. Retention and recruitment, uh, you know, we have, what used to be, you know, the the strongholds of you know public employment of a solid retirement, this current generation doesn't focus on that. You know, I guess I'm old school that I, you know, you focus on yeah, you did, your salary wasn't that great, but there was a guaranteed retirement should things continue the way they have been for the last fifty or sixty years. But having said that, the new generation that's not their focus. You know, I want to get to the top of the ladder as fast as I can, as quick as I can, make as much money as I can, and. I'll worry about the future later because right now that's not what I'm focused on. You know, so myself, you know, learning from our parents and grandparents, you know, I, I'm, I guess more proud now that I had grandparents that lived through the depression and, you know, my, my parents are very frugal. Um, I always say that my mom can get, you know, a dollar out of a dime. And, you know, it's really important when you go forward is having those things in mind and having people with that same motive. Some are, are, are very, very fiscally conservative, uh, very, very 
and and sometimes they treat the money as if it's theirs, which is really you know some people question. I I appreciate that approach because people use the same way they manage their personal finances as how they manage county finances uh, or how they impact positions on committees. So it's not like, oh, we got money, let's just spend it. It's strategically looking at that money. How can we get the most out of that, those dollars? And, you know, it, you know we use in, in government terms, it's, you know, how do we leverage instead of the, you know, get the most bang for your buck. It's how do we leverage more? And really that's what it's about. But really, um, you know, the budget is a, a this challenging process. We start in June. We'll wrap it up with my presentation next month at the legislature meeting. The legislature then, um, you know, has a chance to scrutinize and make cuts and changes where they see fit. But, yeah, I think in, as in the last two years, there really isn't a whole lot to look at. Um, you know, there's some things we have capital projects uh, that, that uh, you know, have been requested across the county, different departments. And there's, there's things that we're looking at really is... You know what? If we want to purchase a piece of equipment, how many different department can, departments can use that piece of equipment? Um, so that's really what we're focused on now. In fact, one department we switched was something that was specifically for them to let's look at this other piece of equipment that could be used by other departments throughout the county, and that's what we switched for. So again, you know, we're looking at you know we're overturning every stone and looking at everything, and um, you know we've we've been very fortunate with some things that have happened. Um, you know, our tribal compact was settled. We did get a tribal compact. A compact payment. Uh, we did have our uh, foreclosure auction, which was very, very well for the county. So, you know, we're in a, a very solid position, but you can't rest. You know, you've always got to watch, uh, you know, you got to watch the piggy bank and, you know, make sure that we're using and spending money uh, in the most economical way, but the most reflective of our residents and their hard work as well. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go back to you know, the foreclosure auction. That was the first one that had been held in three years because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And first one that was held online, I, I know that uh, the uh, director of real property finance, uh, she, uh, real property tax was thrilled with, with that process. Uh, and uh, and um, when I was looking at the quick claim resolution that was in, that was filed for county legislature, it looked like there was a certain amount of money that was owed in taxes, but then the county actually made more. So, uh, so budgetarily, I mean, granted, you're you're having to account for several years of not yeah. getting that money. But how what was the feeling with that in the end? Uh, we did very well. <clears throat> you know, for example, we can talk about you know the case in point that was brought up last night. Um, Eighty nine thousand dollars were owed in taxes. One hundred twenty seven thousand was what was paid for the property. Now, earlier in the in the, the year, somebody said to me, "Well, what are you going to do when you make thirty thousand on a property?" I'm like. It, Traditionally, we don't make 30000 on a property because what's going to happen is you're going to have 10 others where we lose money. And most times, you know, that's the case. We, we have a piece of property, you know, let's say 20000 road in taxes, and we sell it for $2,000. I mean, that's a loss that, that the county takes. But this year, we saw more of, you know, the, the benefit to that. So, again, cognizant as to, um, you know, how that money is spent and how we use that, you know, those... Uh, I don't want to say surpluses, but how we've actually kind of had a little bit more of a profit in that. Um, so again, it, it's unique. It's, it's not a windfall. We're not. I mean, that's not what happened in every case. Many, you know, we were on the other side. We were, you know, upside down on, on some of these properties and what was owed in taxes and what was actually collected in the auction. But you know, some of these people are really eager. Um, you know, last night uh, I know the person personally. You know, there's a business owner really wants to relocate his shop, and I'm sure get some. Uh, get you know things into that and get moving so yeah and I, i've seen a couple of uh, properties that were in foreclosure that you know within the week were already getting work done on the remodeling so yeah really people are looking to rehab uh, a lot of the properties they bought 
if that's the ability, the, the possibility and really get to work. So yeah, we, we did very well uh, again, but you're also talking two years of, of losses uh, and where we end up. I mean, we could start to see a bigger number, um, you know, net proceeds, but what is the actual at the end of the day to find out where are we over the last two years? So it's still, we're, we're still kind of, you know, kind of cutting through all that information and, and, you know, getting all the finances together. But you know, in the end right now, it puts us in a very solid position financially. That's good news. Yeah. So as we head into the month of September, I, I like to think of fall as like that last time, last chance to clean out your garage before the snow flies. <laughs> so, and I saw that the county has scheduled a household hazardous waste collection day. So uh, what's, what's going on with that and how does that work for folks? Uh, you know, the details for that, you know, we're gonna have to look online. That's something that goes through our, our landfill and Aaron Gustafson, uh, the new director of solid waste in the landfill will have the information out. But, you know, those are those objects that, um, you know, I know one of them is paint, uh, you know, making sure that um, the lids are off the paint, let it dry out, and then uh, we're able to get that, you know, to the proper places. You know, you know, people think, well, what's the big deal? Well, you throw a gallon of paint that might have a little bit at the bottom and the chemicals start to separate. And, you know, now it gets thrown into the landfill and then it gets, you know, it, it gets trapped, if you will, because um, it's not just, it doesn't leach into the ground. I mean, the cell we put it in is actually double wall thick plastic. But nonetheless, you know, those things are a hazard and it does affect, you know, the, the biomass, if you will, of the landfill. There is organisms, there's breaking down of, of you know, that, those materials. But really important, we don't put those hazardous materials, you know, we don't see them on the side of the road or we don't see them in, you know, the contaminated landfill. So, um, you know, it's, it's a great uh, opportunity for residents to get rid of those items a proper way. Um, I know, you know, we talked in my house, we have a couple of paint cans, you know, we've already taken the lids off and we'll, yeah, we'll start the process. Uh, so again, it's just, it's an opportunity for our residents to be, you know, think of the uh, the environment and making sure we're disposing of things property, properly. Uh, but we did have a press release that went out this week and we urge residents to look at our county land, or our county website, and you'll find the information as to where the locations are and how we get that hazardous waste to uh, the proper, proper you know, facilities as a landfill or transfer stations. Right, and this is a free service. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so yeah, I, I have friends that they do their old, own oil changes on their cars, and you gotta, you can't just throw that out in the trash either. So no. yeah, so this is one of those opportunities. So okay, so yeah, yep. if you go to uh, county website, it's uh, chqgov.com. Okay, and you'll be able to find the information. Yep, excellent. So uh, something else has come up being, coming up for September, and this was uh, last night. You proclaimed September as Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. So what is the importance? of that kind of awareness well you know it, it it's it's critically important um <clears throat> you know in in the wake of this i remember back to um you know a student that i a good friend of mine um who was diagnosed with cancer i think before junior or senior year and subsequently passed in back in 1987. it was the first time it, it kind of hit me as a, as a person um, but you go through and you, you hear and see of this. And of course, most recently, um, you know, a former, I dated myself last night, a former student, um, Tara Warren and uh, uh, her daughter, uh, Callie, uh, from Callie's Crusade. And, you know, just how the impact of childhood cancer affects everybody. And, and you know, we've known there was another young boy, um, a 16-year-old from, uh, I worked with his dad from Faulkner. And then, of course, he's a student at Frewsburg. So, um, you know, thinking of that family that, you know, a month ago, you're, you're thinking about starting the school year, you know, excitement, and then you know, within a couple of weeks, you're diagnosed with, with a form of cancer. And, 
yeah, I can't imagine what that's like for the family because it just it stops your world. Um, you know, you're not focused on going back to school or you know school shopping or picnics or parties. It's you know what do we do and what's the long road ahead of us and the doctors and the poking and the prodding and the you know the the treatments and um, as I said yesterday, there's um, only six new cancer drugs for pediatric cancer have been developed in the last year, and that's that's um, that's critical when we think of the number multitudes of cancer drugs that are being you know discovered and, and approved for adults. Uh, so, you know, again, it, it's time for people to think, uh, you know, what, what happens and really, um, you know, again, different, different thoughts, you know, if a person's a smoker, you know, they smoke for 20, 30 years and, you know, they have lung cancer, you know, there, people have a debate as to whether or not, you know, what, what happens with that or, you know, a person believes this, you know, but here it's a 16 year old that, or, or in the case of Callie, she was only two or three. And, and what had they done to, you know, be marked with this this disease that, you know, in, in some cases, many cases, it's fatal. Um, you know, the, what do they do to <laughs> anger somebody, you know, kind of make somebody mad that, that, would, that would warrant this? So, um, you know, it's really something we need to focus on and just to bring awareness to. Um, and it's it's not so much the individual that's going through this, but, but it's, and, and when you're talking to a child, you know, it's the parents and the family and, and the relatives. And, you know, any parent will tell you, you, you give anything for your children, um, you know, to, to, to be able to switch. And I'm sure, um, you know, Shane or Tara would, would do anything to have her back if it meant, you know, compromising themselves uh, without a doubt. And, or any parent that's, that dealt with, that's dealt with the loss of a child. But, um, you know, keeping that in mind, it's, you know, we just want everybody to be aware. And, and Tara was there last night, um, you know, to accept the proclamation. Marty Proctor, myself, and Pierre Shagnon. Um, but it's reality. You know, it's one of those things that that, that we face every day. Um, and, you know, I, I've noticed it more because you know my son being 16 was, you know, Dad, they're having this event for so and so. Let's go. Let's do this. So it's, I think that's it's been kind of a wake up call. You know, as a parent, you see now that this is, you know, that 16 year old who's pretty brave. Uh, it kind of affects them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's part of adulthood now, and you, you realize that, you know, what could happen to anybody. Uh, so again, our, our thoughts and prayers go out to any family who's dealing with this, but just making you know the community aware of of, uh, of what's happening and the struggles people are facing. Right. Yeah, and certainly with um, Kelly Swan, you know, you talk about affecting families. That that was something that affected the whole community because everyone was involved with you know supporting that that young little girl when everything she was going through, and was so optimistic and you know really fighting for her along with what she was trying to do herself. So and it's it's taught me to think of a. You know, if, in that case, I think Callie was only, I mean, five or six, I think, when she passed. Yeah. But, you know, the better part of her life was known as, as fighting this. Um, you know, with it, it just, it's just, it's too tragic. And, um, you know, you, you look back and, you know, you just, you, you pray it doesn't happen to you and, and you just pray that it doesn't happen to anybody else. And, but unfortunately it does. So, you know, we just, it, it does, it rallies our community. I, I'll tell you, I, I, I'm just astonished at the way the community rallies around individuals here whether we you know you can talk about animosities and you know we've had gun violence and different tragedies but the way we rally around our own you know you look at the number of people that went out to new york to follow connor gray who got signed with the got called up to the mets i mean there's people that have you know packed up boom we're the next day we're, we want to be there it, it's just you know it, uh, legislator torres last night commenting on on you know the success of connor uh, again, it's amazing. And, and, you know, something like that, you know, gets shadowed by you know, things we talk about that are tragic, but there's a lot of good happening here. 
um, and a lot of success. And so we want to, you know, call that out as well. And it's, um, but we do have a community that just rallies around one another without a doubt. Mm-hmm. On your um, administrative side, you've had some news in the last couple of weeks about a new hire and a future retirement. So we'll start with the new hire. Uh, you named Tim Cart as the new director of the Department of Public Facilities, and you introduced him last night to the legislature. Right. Tim comes to us with 32 years for the town of Harmony. Uh, he's been 25 years, I think, as their elected town highway supervisor. So Tim knows the business very well. Uh, has a great relationship with other town highway superintendents and village superintendents as well. So the connection between the county and the municipalities is critical. But also, you know, one of the things we talked about in, in listening, the absence of the former director and where we are now is, you know, what do we want to focus on? What are you, lo- and I, I reached out to the staff and said, what are you looking for in a director? And a lot of them said, somebody who knows the business, who knows one and understands. Doesn't have to be the expert, but just knows and understands what we're doing and what we're going through. And, and, you know, and the position, what I've focused around now is for Tim, not to be the expert of the seven divisions that he oversees, but listening to the expert, the people that are the managers and the deputy directors that are in those positions, relying on their expertise. One of the things that solidified that belief was we were at a, a I was at a conference um, with Nimer, and we happened to stumble upon the um, Special Operators Transition Group, which are former Navy SEALs, CIA operatives, special forces, um, and how these men and women transition back to the, the private sector. And one of the gentlemen there was a Navy SEAL for I think 12 or 16 years, and he said, you know, we can build a government, we can destroy, destroy a government, and we can work with the government. You know, you just tell us what we need to do. He goes, but we're not the experts, we rely on the experts. And I'm like, boom, there it is. This is what we wanted to do as our DPF, and it just solidified the position going forward. So um, a different direction, not being the the overseer of, I mean, you are he is overseeing everything, but not having to have that you know direct impact of, you know, has to know everything about every department. It's just really relying on the people uh, that work in those divisions, supporting them, you know, challenging them to you know do the best they can, which they already do, but also just you know listening and being the voice, uh, you know, through from their offices to my office into the legislature. Yeah, you had mentioned, I think, earlier in the year about that with DPF, you were kind of creating like a kind of cabinet mm-hmm. with it so that so each of those divisions had their expert, as you would say. Mm-hmm. That, and then, so is that how it's going to still continue to work? Yes, we're going to have. So, you know, one of the things I, I really look back and I, I tell, you know, department heads, whoever I hire, this is your baby. I'm not going to micromanage you. Um, you know, these are what this is what I want to see. This is the vision. You know, this is where we want to get to. But at the end of the day, you're you're on your own. Uh, you're there to create that. So we spoke to, uh, you know, Tim and I had lengthy conversations about that. He's been out to meet a couple of the de- department heads already. Um, he's already started working, if you will, a little bit, making connections. So yeah, we do want to continue that um, that cabinet. So, you know, we have seven divisions. You're talking carts and the airports and buildings and grounds and the engineering and roads and bridges. And, you know, there's so many different pieces moving around the landfill. They need to work in their own, but yet we're all part of one umbrella or family, if you will. So making sure communication is there, and that's been, you know, a focal point of my administration is making sure that communication interdepartmentally is there. Is even I had a meeting with one group, and they said, you know, internally we still don't know what some divisions of our department are doing, and we work together. So we really I want to increase that that um, communication in the. You know, the terms you hear out there kind of breaking down those silos. We don't want people to work in silos. We want everybody to understand what the others are doing. So that's the focus of the DPF department going forward. 
increasing the communication, making sure everybody knows what's happening elsewhere, how it may impact each other's department, but at the end, focusing on your department and the, the, the director, again, being that, that oversight for every, every seven divisions that, that he'll, he'll oversee. All right. On to someone who is retiring. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I wonder if I should find a box of tissues for both yeah. of us here. But, <laughs> so Stephen Abdullah, long-term time county employee in many, many different roles, is finally, he's, he's said he's retiring at the end of this year. Yeah, it was it was a it was a shock. Um, you know, I've I've so, I've said to so many people in you know since I've come in office, um, you got to do you. Um, you know, it's like, well, I want to do this, but it's it's about you. It's not about you know this. You know, I like it that liking it to this this position has been here before you got here, and it's going to be here after you. But it's the impact you make on that position that's really most important. And you know, I've had different department heads or different individuals talking about moving roles or changing roles in county government. And they're like, well, I don't know if I can leave. It's like, if you've done your job and you've set it up, yes, you can. And, you know, and just have faith in the person that is going to replace you, that if you've trained them well, they'll carry on the way you have. Or if not, you know, maybe it's going to go a different way. Maybe it's going to go better. Uh, and obviously, we hope it doesn't go negatively. But in the case of Steve, you know, you've got 30 plus years uh, as a uh, as an attorney for the county of Chautauqua, uh, and as Pierre Shagnon quoted, it's that corporate knowledge. Uh, you know, he and you know we have another person who's uh, retiring, Kathy Swanson from Mental Hygiene. You know, twenty plus years as the fiscal director in that department. So, you know, it's like we need to keep you on retainer for six months afterwards, just so you can answer questions to your replacements, because there's just those nuances that oh yeah, this is how you do that and. Um, you know, again, with Steve, you know, he's, as soon as he said, I'm retiring, but I'm not going anywhere. Um, I will be there for the transition. So, uh, you know, in years past, we talked about this, that, you know, when Steve was in office, in his position and out uh, as, as county attorney, you know, a lot of it was politically driven that, you know, there's somebody waiting in the wings and it was the, you know, the, the belief of the, of that party in charge to, you know, hire one of their own. You know, in this case, uh, you know, we're still looking at that, but, first time in 30 years we're having to find a, an attorney so we are going to you know open this up and see you know who is out there and who's uh, you know looking at the best uh, position going forward uh we do have some you know some great candidates already internally um but we are going to you know put out a campus if you will and open it up and see who who applies um you know that, that process has started um already so yeah but you know yeah, there's a lot, uh, you know, it's, and, and I'm happy for Steve and his wife and, you know, they're, you know, getting time to settle down and do those things. And he's worked very hard, you know, throughout his career. And, um, but what it has opened the eyes to, and we talked about it yesterday with other executives is, um, you know, we talked a little before is our, our salaries, you know, in the case of management, um, you know, we are lacking as far, you know, when it comes to other counties. And I'm not talking Erie, I'm talking, you know, right next door to Cattaraugus to our east. Um, you know, there's been some things that have come to light and what we need to focus on to retain or to recruit, you know, people in that management position. But Steve, nonetheless, just has a wealth of uh, uh, knowledge and experience. And uh, Steve's a very even keeled, monotone in a very good way. And I, I like to think I've really livened him up a little bit with, uh, you know, he, I say things to him and this is what we're dealing with. And it's, he, I get that look like you're kidding me, right? You, know, you, you can't write this story, whether it's a comic or a tragedy. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, I, I really appreciate the relationship I've had with Steve now for the last three years, uh, a good friend and a confidant. 
um, and somebody that I can always lean on and go to without without a doubt. Um, and always reminds me of you know the right things and, and what we need to keep in, in mind. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a big loss, but um, you know with with all change, uh, you know comes new hope and optimism, and you know the hopes that this new his new replacement will do just as well as Steve did, and you know maybe move the position. Um, but you know the I liken it to you know people have criticized. Well, look at where people you know, you've lost a lot of people in your administration. You know what? I have some different department heads, but in many cases, it's gone on to bigger and better. Um, you know, secretaries in my office. Uh, you know, my assistant Danny's now the you know CEO of the Chamber of Commerce. Um, no, stay here and be my assistant. I don't want you to take a great job that's going to promote yourself in the county, and, and many many situations like that. But um, you know, it just comes a time when people transition. You know, many of these people you're looking to retiring after 20, 30 years. Uh, you know, I liken it back to. You know, Andy made a comment, uh, Senator, or excuse me, Senator Goodell about Jack Glenzer. He came in after Jack replaced a whole, uh, you know, a lot of people. And I, I'm very confident in the people that have, uh, you know, filled our positions right now are very strong and solid. Um, you know, Deb Mikowski, Carmelo Hernandez, many others. Aaron Gustafson has stepped up in the landfill. So now Tim Card. Um, I feel good that we're going to find, uh, you know, somebody that, you know, out of respect for Steve, they're never going to replace Steve, but they're just going to be, you know, the next, uh, you know, the next, the next county attorney that's going to take that position to to great new heights. So, we have a lot going on. You know, there's a lot of things happening in the county, and and we need somebody with good, sound legal experience that's going to help us move forward. And I know we'll find that person. I'm, I'm pretty confident we have that person already. Um, it's just a matter of you know how things flush out in the next couple of months. But, um, you know, I, I keep thinking, well, you know, we have we we can do that in September. Well, that that's next week. So, uh, you know, before we know it, the end of the year is going to be here. And uh, yeah, having said that, we have some big shoes to fill, and, and Steve's there along the way to help us with that. And um, you know, I'm, I'm confident that the next replacement will uh, will have huge shoes to fill, but um, somebody that's definitely uh, I know is going to be able to do that as we make that selection. Right. Well, County Executive Wendell, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, thanks for having me.